Welcome to the Dreamer's Way podcast. I'm your host, Ella Ryan. Think of this space is your weekly getaway here to ignite your passion, elevate your mindset, and empower you to design a life that truly reflects your dreams. From life hacks to success stories, mindset shifts to moments of pure motivation, the Dreamer's Way is your ultimate source for crafting a life filled with purpose, passion, and endless possibilities. Whether you're looking for some guidance, here for some inspo, or just looking to learn something new, I hope you find a little piece of you inside each episode. Ready to dive in? Let's go. Hello, you guys, and welcome back to another episode of the Dreamers Way podcast. I'm so happy that you guys are here. I know I say this every week, but honestly, it truly makes my day when I see you guys tuning in. I hear from you and I hear the impact that the episodes are making on you. I feel the motivation. I see you guys inspired. That is truly like success for me. I feel so fulfilled seeing you guys receive the impact that this podcast was intended to create. So thank you so much for being here and showing up week after week with me. Happy New Year. On that note, we're stepping into 2024, guys. New energy, same energy different energy, whatever it is that you're cultivating and you are intending for this year ahead, I'm right there with you. And I hope this podcast can be a part of your journey and keeping and maintaining that ambitious, inspired and motivated energy as we travel through 2024. I'm really excited for you guys. Today's guest is the beautiful Candace Langford, beautiful soul, beautiful person. Just the way she speaks is so beautiful. I'm really excited for you guys. I left this interview feeling so empowered, so in charge of my health, so in charge of my body. And I just really felt like I left knowing so much more. And you know what they say, that knowledge truly is power. Candace is a pelvic health physiotherapist. We go deep. For the time this episode is, there is so much value jam-packed in. So buckle up, join me inside the episode, and let me know what you guys think. I always love hearing from you. Reach out to Candace and keep the conversation going. I don't want to give anything away in this intro, so let's jump right in. Hi, Candace. How are you? Hi, Ella. I'm so good in you. I'm so happy that you're here and we really appreciate you taking time out of your day to come and chat with us. Yeah, thank you. It's good to be here and I'm grateful to have the opportunity to share. So I haven't really given the audience much. I would really love it if you could tell us a little bit about yourself, maybe what you're passionate about, what led you into your field, anything that you'd like to share with the audience. Yeah, so my name is Candice Langford. I am South African living in the Cayman Islands and I'm a physiotherapist, but more particularly, I am a pelvic health physiotherapist. So people might be familiar with the term women's health physiotherapy, but everyone has a pelvis, no matter your gender. Or your <laughs> that's a good point. <laughs> so, so I prefer the term pelvic health physiotherapy because that's the area that I work. So Alongside pelvic health physiotherapy, I am quite passionate about education and just breaking down the taboos and the shame that's associated with anything to do with the pelvis, really. So I always summarize it in all the P's and I really try and keep it really lighthearted just to let people feel a little bit more comfortable talking about these topics. So the P's are pee, poo, pleasure, pain, periods, pre-menopause, post-menopause, pregnancy, postpartum, and then 
I don't really do too much men's specific or penis specific, but the other P is penis. So for some reason, they're all P's, but it works for me. Essentially, I'm a public health physiotherapist and then I really enjoy the educational side. So I carry through education. It can be corporate events, it's online events, it's through social media, so on Instagram online courses. I've done education for other practitioners in and around the field of public health. And then just public speaking, a little bit of talking here and there and things like this podcast. I really enjoy to just to break down the taboos. Yeah. And other than that, (laughs) I think I've covered enough. (laughs) I love it. I just thought of it now. It is all peas. How convenient is that? It's weird. Candice actually... Yeah, it works really well. And for those of you that aren't following Candace yet, because you should be, you really do such a good job at, you said it perfectly there, like, it's the taboo-ness around these terms or around this, like, area of physiotherapy can be very, what's the word I'm looking for? Very uncomfortable or nerve-wracking. And I feel like you do such a good job at having these conversations without it feeling like, oh, I can't talk about this. And with balancing like the education and like teaching people. And I think you do such a good job at that. Yeah. Thank you. I really enjoy it. I I find it really rewarding. And the thing with public health is that a little can go a long way. So you might learn one small thing and it can make a really big difference in your day-to-day experience. So for example, using a little footstep underneath your feet, when you go to make a poo, because you're constipated and people literally come back to me and say, this has changed my life. And they genuinely never, they're not being dramatic, they're being serious because we know that our gut health has such a big impact on on every other part of our being, whether that's just comfort and around our stomachs, it's our mental health. So a little bit of information can go a long way. So the educational side of things is really rewarding. It's a lot of work, but it's really rewarding and brings me a lot of joy. Absolutely. And it seems that way too. Like you said, just the small changes. And if you can help somebody with something that to you might be so second nature, but to them, that small adjustment, whether it's eliminating any discomfort or whatever it is you're helping them with. So I wanted to ask you as a physiotherapist first, what made you shift into the pelvic health? Oh, I get asked this question a lot. And I think it's multifactorial. Lots of things are kind of weighed into my decision. So the first degree that I did was in marine biology and ecology. And within that degree, I was really interested in reproductive biology. So it really had caught my attention. And then um, towards the end, well, at the end of that degree, just before I did my final exam, and a family member that ended up in hospital and I spent a lot of time in the hospital. So I graduated from that degree, but then spending a lot of time in the hospital, I went and did ward rounds with the nurses. I went and shadowed the physiotherapist because it was like a second home to me. And I really felt so drawn to working with people. And then my dad pretty much said to me, he's like, you can get yourself a scholarship, like you can go, but I'm not doing it. I just put you through a whole degree. So I essentially went and applied and I got in and it felt like that's where I was meant to be all along. So I absolutely have a passion for the ocean, but working with people was definitely something that was where I was meant to be. So I I started my degree in physio and our pelvic health component of training was really short and really taboo. And that just created that much more fascination within the reproductive world, which was my first introduction to pelvic health. 
we would have our lectures and every time the, the lecturer would say sphincter, everyone would giggle in the corner and it would just be like, oh my gosh, she said sphincter and she would pronounce it swinkter. So it just made that much more funny. But anyway, they would say things like, oh, you know, pelvic health is really complicated. You have to do courses post post qualification and that's how you're going to find out more. And so I did. That made me more curious. And then being post-grad and doing more courses, it's just such a growing field and it's just so fascinating and you learn something one year and the next year it's completely different and it's just it's just almost addictive because there's so much information it's just it's so stimulating and so rewarding when you can part this information with patients so it's just been this kind of multifactorial drive towards diving into the field of pelvic health and then within pelvic health physiotherapy one of my niche fields is is sexual health so I've done a lot of additional training on sexual health and that's once again because it was considered so taboo and something not to talk about it made me curious I wanted to dive deeper so I think it's been largely curiosity that's driven my 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 deep dive into pelvic health that is the most, I got goosebumps every 10 seconds. You found your thing. Like, that's so beautiful. I love that you already, you finished your first degree, correct? Yeah. So you went back to school and then did postgrad. Do you mind me asking how long that would have been in school from start to finish with marine biology? And then physiotherapy. So it was seven, yeah. years, seven years in university. And then wow. after that, you go and do community service in the hospital. So yeah, but seven years at the University of Cape Town. Do you feel like at any point you would have been like, am I actually going to go back to school? Or were you like, this is exactly what I need to do. It's a no brainer. Like I'm going. Yeah, it was a no brainer. So I literally graduated and the very next season, which was just after Christmas, it, I didn't have any break off of university. I just went straight back into it. I mean, the first couple of weeks when I didn't, I wasn't able to carry over any credits from my previous degree, even though they were both Bachelor of Science. (laughs) So first couple of weeks, I regretted it. But once we actually started getting into human biology and cellular biology, I really loved that. So yeah, I was. I love that. That's such a lesson. I love hearing stories like this because I think that so many people get so discouraged when they hit a certain age or when they've hit a certain goal or mile marker that they're like, this is it. I can't go back to school. I can't do this, but you did it. That's amazing. And now you're here and you're just, you're following your passion. I think that we, the world needs people like you to follow your curiosities, even if it's something that seems so taboo or people tend to shy away from, because I think more and more, I think this is the conversation around not only pelvic health, but sexual health is like, people are becoming better advocates for themselves and they want to learn and they want people like you teaching them ways that they can make these adjustments in their lives. Yeah. I think that's what a great story. I had no idea that you went to school for marine biology first. Like that's so impressive. Yeah. Thank you. It was, uh, it was a lot. (laughs) By the end of university, I I must admit I was done. I was done. (laughs) Although I've just signed up for my master's. So uh, into university, I'll be doing it abroad, but yeah, I think learning is a lifelong, lifelong thing. Yeah. I totally agree. And I think when it's something that you love, like Mm -hmm. it's just, you just want to keep doing it. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. So I wanted to ask you some of the benefits of pelvic health therapy. If someone were to come and work with you, let's say, let's start with the menstrual years. What are some benefits of working with pelvic health therapist? 
Yeah. So uh, I, I like that you've said, let's start with the menstrual years because pelvic health, especially in individuals with uterine anatomy, right? Pelvic health shows up or concerns relating to the pelvis. It shows up in our different life phases and stages. It might be adolescent years when an individual is learning to potty train, and then it goes through prepubescence and then your menstrual years and and the way we think about our pelvis and the way we engage with our pelvis changes from menstruating teen to someone that's pregnant to someone that's going through perimenopause the way you engage with your pelvis really does change so it's good to look at it through at at different life phases and consider what benefits someone might gain so if i'm just zooming in on menstrual years a lot of what I see is individuals that are potentially struggling with period pain, okay? And that might be because the individual has got endometriosis. They may have not received a diagnosis yet, and they are struggling with this dysmenorrhea and menorrhagia often as well, which is excessive bleeding during one's period, and they're just really struggling with pain. So whether you've got just heavy bleeding and a lot of pain, or you've been diagnosed with endometriosis, or it might be adenomyosis or other menstrual concerns, it can be really valuable to work with a, with a pelvic health physiotherapist. So I want you to imagine that, for example, someone with endo, they are anticipating every single month during their bleeding phase can also be outside of the bleeding phase. They're anticipating, oh, this is, it's going to be so painful. I'm going to be in so much pain. So what do we do when we're in pain? We guard, we tension, we clench, we avoid activity, we isolate. So when the person's in pain, they're doing all that tension guarding, et cetera. But in anticipation, because they know it's coming every single month, they're also building up, oh, that's going to be painful. I'm good. Oh, I'm going to start clenching. I'm going to start avoiding certain activities. And all of that impacts the pelvis. So if you imagine the, the pelvic floor, so it's probably good for me to just backtrack for a little bit. So the pelvic floor is a sling of muscles at the base of the pelvis, and it almost forms a, a hammock. And it contracts to keep urine in, it contracts to keep stool in, and it relaxes to allow urine out, it relaxes to allow stool out, and it relaxes to allow things such as penetration. So we've got this pelvic floor that moves in and out of contract and relax, and then it stays at a good resting stage just so you don't have to think about it on your pelvic floor all the time. But that's an oversimplification of the pelvic floor. But anyway, if you are now clenching and tensioning in response to pain or anticipation of pain, what's going to happen to those muscles? They're going to get short. They're going to get tight. They're going to get clenched. So now if I am constantly in this tension behavior and I'm struggling now to pass a stool, you might come to see a physiotherapist and the physiotherapist may say, oh, you're struggling to get a stool out because you can't relax your pelvic floor. So we learn how to relax our pelvic floor and then you're hopefully able to get the stool out so you can you don't have constipation. But then the next month comes and oh, we're clenching in anticipation again and we're struggling to get stool out again. So this comes into kind of managing the root cause. We then say the reason why there's so much tension around this pelvis is because this individual is really anticipating pain. They're struggling with the pain. The pain is not well managed. So if we can rather refer out 
help that person to get their pain managed, then they're no longer hopefully anticipating pain as much. They're not clenching as much. And we get better pelvic floor function. So that you have a better ability to let go and allow passage of urine, a better ability to let go and allow passage of stool. And then when it comes to things like penetrative sex. So if someone is in pain all the time, they're clenching all the time, we have a a tensioning around the entrance of vagina. And then these individuals also then may experience difficulty to relax those pelvic floor muscles to allow for penetration. So the cause might be something related to that person's menstrual experiences, but it has this overlapping effect because everything is connected and this pelvis is so important in our daily functions that it's now impacting sexual pleasure pain with sex, constipation, incontinence, difficulty passing urine, a number of different things. So that is something really, really common that I see within the menstrual years because it's got all of these that kind of knock-on effects is when periods are poorly managed and individuals are unfortunately told, oh, you're a girl. Okay, you got your period. You got period pain, shame. I'll go take the nodder. You'll be fine. No, that's not okay. If your periods are stopping you from being able to engage in normal behavior, going to school, going to work, if you're having to stop those behaviors, it's very likely that you're having an abnormal amount of pain and that requires some investigation from someone that's going to listen to you and hear you out. So that's a really common experience in in menstrual years as an example. But obviously with regards to periods, there's lots of different things that we might be experiencing, but it's a really, really common one that we see is period pain being the driver of some other pelvic floor dysfunction. I'm nodding along. No one's going to see me nodding along. But if I think of just even my close circle of of girlfriends or even my extended, I think everyone has struggled at some point with severe period pain to the point, like you said, it stops them from performing their daily activities. And I also love that you mentioned that part of your job and part of what you do to help these clients is get to the root cause as opposed to, because I feel like So often we're told, you know, just take Tylenol or whatever it is that you can take to help the pain subside, but it's not actually helping us correct or have a better period, a better experience in the future because it affects, I think, every woman at some point. Like it's remarkable to me that we haven't, or maybe this is now coming into light, but we haven't been taught these sorts of things that this is obviously, and like, yeah, of course everything's connected, but to know that there's something that we can do at the base of it to help adjust. And then it's not something that we have to just live with. Because I think that's what a lot of women do at this point is they just make their peace with it. And they're just like, I just get really bad. Like, I just can't function. Yeah, and that's exactly it. It's There's so much shame associated with the pelvis in general. There's so much shame associated with periods, with sex, with going to the toilet. There's so much shame. So people, when they eventually work themselves up to go and ask or seek help, if they're dismissed and told it's all in your head or just have a glass of wine and you'll be okay, like stop moaning so much, that person is going to feel that much more isolated. They're going to feel like it's that much more taboo and they almost withdraw and then they suffer in silence. So part of the social media, part of talking to friends, part of having these types of conversations is to just bring it back to light again and hopefully in such a way that it gives comfort and confidence in going there and going there that place that we avoid, that conversation that we avoid, we want you to go there 
so that you can see help because yes, like you said, there's so much that can be done for every little element of pelvic floor dysfunction, pelvic health in general. And we want that. Pelvic health practitioners just want that. We want you to have that. We want you to be able to experience the help that is out there. Yeah. To be able to live without the discomfort. I think that's, you're not asking for much. I think everyone wants to feel that way. So I love that there's becoming more opportunities for people to talk about this and people to see. So would you say pregnancy is the next stage if we were going to yeah. like break it up? Yeah, yeah. It's a it's a very relevant stage. It's something that people are really relating to. So obviously it doesn't matter your age or where you are in life. Right. You might be experiencing some level of pelvic floor dysfunction or pelvic health concern. But yes, pregnancy would be one that someone would really relate to. So in pregnancy, oftentimes the very first time someone's really thought about their pelvic floor because they're pregnant and then they're thinking, oh, uh, right. I'm delivering this individual <laughs> vaginally. What does that mean? And then unfortunately people go Google and they speak to friends and there's a lot of horror stories out there. It really scares people and then becomes this knock-on effect. So Pregnancy, for very many reasons, might be uh, a driving force to you coming for pelvic health physiotherapy. So sometimes it's just birth preparation, getting that person to know and understand their pelvic floor, get them to learn how to breathe uh, during their pregnancy, learn how to exercise during their pregnancy, feel really confident in exercising during their pregnancy, and then giving people tools and advice for when they're in labor as to how to breathe, how to position themselves, removing that sense of fear of, oh, I'm a fragile pregnant person now. It's no, actually, you're really, really strong and you're capable. We just need to get you to feel empowered in those moments and feel, I always say, fear is the absence of information and if we can then give you information it's going to help to calm down the level of that 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 fear that was actually a common a quote that i heard in Grey's anatomy and so good yeah because it makes total sense yeah oh and it just yeah. it relates a lot to what i do so Essentially, if we can just give you as much information as you can in a very digestible way that you can relate to and understand, then we hope that can then weigh into your pregnancy and your labor experience and experience with regards to, to pelvic health. So your engagement with a pelvic health physiotherapist might be that we're doing this birth preparation. There's lots we can talk about, lots we can educate and lots we can manage. Another example is in pregnancy, someone might be experiencing constipation for the first time. They might be experiencing stress, urinary incontinence. So that's, oh, when I sneeze or I cough or I laugh, all of a sudden I'm leaking urine. Um, and we can work on that. We can manage that. It might be that the person is struggling with frequency. So they feel like they've got a lot of urgency and frequency with regards to going to the loo to pass urine so that they go really often and it's disturbing their day. So there's a lot that we can do and talk about in order to help manage those symptoms during pregnancy. With regards to pregnancy, another really common experience is lower back pain, coccyx pain, sacroiliac joint dysfunction, so pain at the, in the sacrum at the back, lower, lower back, and then in the front of the pubic symphysis, discomfort there. So there's a lot that can be do can be done there too. So once again, individuals that are pregnant are often made to feel like you're fragile. If you're going to exercise, take it very lightly. If you're going to walk, keep your feet very narrow. Don't do deep squats. Don't do wide squats. Don't do lunges. Don't do split stance. There's so many things that we're told not to do. And what happens when we're in fear or there is pain, we clench, we tension, we withdraw, we stop ourselves from engaging in, in these activities. And that does not help us. Exercise is the best thing that you can do for yourself. If it's 
obviously there are certain circumstances where there are contraindications during pregnancy, but even then there's certain levels of activity that we can try and encourage. So we really want to get people moving. We don't want you to feel fearful of moving because that tension, if you clench around your back, your pelvis, your abdomen all the time, it's going to make pain worse. It's going to make the experience worse. It's going to make movement more difficult. So we just, once again, shining some light, giving some information, and then managing those symptoms so that the person can experience their pregnancy without discomfort. Because one of the things I want to touch on quickly is that a lot of the time people are told, oh, relax, and it's going to loosey-goosey your joints, and you're going to be flippy-floppy, and everything's going to move, and the baby can just slide out, right? And that makes people scared. It makes people scared. So we have to really just control the way in which we communicate the amount of movement within the pelvis that's going to occur in order to facilitate delivery because people fear they if they have pain in their first trimester they just think they sit there thinking oh my goodness this is just going to get worse and worse throughout my pregnancy and then unfortunately some providers will say don't you can't manage it now there's nothing you can do you have to wait until baby comes and then you'll be fine no nonsense we can manage pain right in the beginning and resolve it or manage it so it doesn't increase it through your pregnancy there's so much that can be done oh <laughs> i love i'm I, I feel empowered listening to you talk about this because something that i love hearing from any sort of healthcare practitioner or authority or anybody in the medical field is that you want the client to feel empowered and not scared. And I think that's a default. That's what we all do. We all go on Google. We don't know any better. And all of a sudden we're looking up all these things that are saying, don't do this, don't do that. Don't do this. This is how it's going to end up for you. And it's terrifying. So I think just, and you're right. You're absolutely right. That quote, like being informed, knowledge truly is power. If you don't have the resources, if you're not made aware of your options or tips and tricks and exercises and this and that, of course, you're going to live in that fear state. And it seems so counterproductive. I love how you use the analogy of like, when you're scared, you just tense up and you get really clenched. I find myself doing that if I'm in like a stressful situation. So thinking of your like your pelvis doing this when you're not treating it or doing exercises or supporting it in a way that it can function properly. I I think that's such a great analogy. I can literally picture it. I'm like, okay, I think that's, yeah. And so would you say for postpartum, it's similar, you would get similar sort of clients in, like trying to help them, I guess, recover from the pregnancy in a, with the least amount of like pain or resistance? Yeah. So postpartum, I believe that every single postpartum individual should engage with a pelvic health physiotherapist, preferably at around about the six week mark, then again at three months, at six months, and then at a year. So if that's you and you've got the capabilities to do so, please consider chatting to a pelvic health physiotherapist and having these check-ins, partly because all of this checking and caution and rechecking and care for the baby in the postpartum period, but the parent often has just a once, six, sometimes a a one-week, but six-week follow-up, and then you're just good to go. In those six-week follow-ups, you should be getting asked What's happening with pee? What's happening with poo? What's happening with pleasure? What is your preference with regards to you wanting to return to anything that may be pleasurable for you, however that may look? Asking these questions. And sometimes these things are missed. And that's not okay. So it's six weeks. It's not just the screen light go and go do or go back to your high intensity class because that's not the case. Six weeks is a 
it's an indicator of healing. So we're checking, has the uterus returned to its normal size? Has the scar healed? How are you feeling? Is there, are there any concerns? And then often contraceptives is discussed in that appointment too. So the intention with these consistent follow-ups is to go into deeper detail about how this person might be living in their day-to-day with their daily functions, going to the toilet. And that's super important. So in the postpartum period, I really want to try and encourage, as well as many other pelvic health practitioners, these periodic appointments for check-ins for um, for, for postpartum individuals. A lot of the time, what we are seeing is, as a pelvic health practitioner, so keep in mind that I'm often seeing pathology. I don't always see individuals that are, are, are coping very well. So a pelvic health practitioner often has like a pathological outlook. So I see a lot more of the problem side, the people that are experiencing problems and the ones that aren't. So when you hear this, don't, and you're potentially pregnant, please don't think that, oh, this is going to happen to me because that's not the case. I'm reporting on the reasons why someone might come to see a pelvic health physio. So in the postpartum period, whether the individual has had a vaginal delivery or cesarean delivery, there are many things that you might want to chat to the public health physio about. So just to state the obvious, it might be scar management with a cesarean. So scar management with a cesarean, we want to make sure that the scar heals well, that it moves well, that there once again isn't guarding around that scar because everything is connected. So sometimes if there's a lot of pain or there's a lot of avoidance of a scar, we might fold yourself forward and avoid the stretching motion. And if you're walking now always like slightly tilted forward because you're trying to protect the scar, your abdominal wall becomes becomes quite tight, your posture has changed, and you might experience discomfort in other areas of life. Talking about scars, again, it might be a episiotomy where they've had to make an incision, or it might be a tear of the perennial body that has occurred during vaginal delivery. So we would work on managing that scar, make sure it's mobile, that it's worked, that, that, that it's moving really good, and it's not hypersensitized, or it's not feeling a lot of pain. So there's a lot that we can do there. Associated with this, an individual in the postpartum period, whether it's vaginal or cesarean, they may experience sexual pain. So a year postpartum, about 20% of people are still experiencing a sexual pain after delivery. The average total of, of experiencing sexual pain after delivery is um, 35% of individuals. So one in three people are really experiencing pain and there's so much that can be done. So that's a very common experience in the postpartum period. And there's multiple reasons as to why it might be happening. Then with regards to delivery itself, someone might in the postpartum period experience things such as prolapse, so pelvic organ prolapse, which is a descent of the pelvic organs. And that might be experienced as like a heaviness within the vagina, a dragging sensation. Once again, there's a lot of assessment and work that can be done to help that person. They might be experiencing increased incontinence, so leaking of urine. They might be experiencing fecal incontinence. Sometimes that's with the the higher grade tears at the perennial body. They might be experiencing just pain in general in and around the pelvis and constipation. So all of these things that I'm mentioning are, are topics of conversation that can be addressed, assessed, and treated in the pelvic health realm. And then just zooming out of the pelvis a little bit, in the postpartum period, someone might be returning to exercise. So they might be at their four-week mark and they're wanting to do some kind of movement. There's a lot of guidance that we can give there. They might be at the six-week mark and they're really wanting to return to exercise, at which time we can do a diastasis rectus abdominis assessment. So someone might have what's often referred to as abdominal separation, and we can do an assessment of that to see where they are and help and guide their exercise accordingly to get them to return to their favored sport. 
so diastasis is, is a very common ex- reason why someone might come to physio. And then it really can be anything. So it can be so much so as like you're now breastfeeding and you're in this posture where you're holding a heavy baby, you're looking down constantly, and all of that has resulted in shoulder pain, neck pain, wrist pain, and these are things that once again can be treated in the pelvis. So one mustn't think that, oh my gosh, if I'm going to a pelvic floor physiotherapist, that must mean that I'm going to have an internal vaginal exam and that's intimidating. So because it's intimidating, I'm not going to go. That's not yeah. the case. Yes, we do PV exams, so per vaginal exams, if it's deemed necessary and if you consent. But if you do not, there's lots that can be done without going anywhere near the entrance of the vagina. And then a lot of the time we're working outside of the pelvis as well, the glutes, the hips, the lower back, the thoracic spine, the neck, the jaw. It really is broad. It's hard for me to say postpartum will be X, Y, and Z, but I'm hoping that this kind of gives people a good introduction to to pelvic health around different last phases. Yeah. I'm like lost for words. It truly is. There's no one size fits all. And I think you've communicated that so eloquently is that I think, and correct me if I'm wrong, it doesn't matter what stage you're at, how old you are, seeing a pelvic health physiotherapist at any stage of your life can be extremely beneficial. And I also love that you touched on the fact that it doesn't need to be a vaginal exam. Like it can be adjustment of your hip, your back, your spine, your jaw. Like you said, there's so much more work that can be done. And I think for so long, I had the idea that for a while, actually, that it was only like an internal vaginal exam. That's how we assess. And I think for a lot of people, that's still very they can get quite uncomfortable or it, it might deter them from coming in to see someone. So it sounds like genuinely at any stage, whether or not you think that what you're experiencing is normal or if you feel fine, it still can be extremely beneficial to talk with somebody that can guide you, you know? Yeah. yeah wow. Yeah, that's exactly it. There's no obligation to do anything that you're uncomfortable with ever in any medical situation and there's a lot that can be done for public health concerns outside of ever me putting my hands on you so yeah i've had many patients that want to come here and they just want to talk about what it is that they're experiencing and they want the education in order for them to eventually be ready to have potentially a hands-on assessment wherever it may be on their bodies but a lot of the time yeah, people will schedule in three sessions to come in and chat and just understand what's happening with your body to review exercises to this, this, yeah, there's so much that can be done. Yeah. I think that's so beautiful because I think that's it. I think oftentimes we just need someone that we can trust and some sort of guidance and maybe start, like you said, before having a physical exam, start by implementing different practices into your already existing routine. Mm-hmm. And would you say that perimenopause would be like, the next chapter, the next group um, or yeah, the type of people you get coming in. Yeah, yeah, that would be a really good next kind of step that people would relate to. So perimenopause, is, it can be many years, can be up to 10 years before right. you reach menopause. So menopause is when you're not having periods for a period of 12 months. And then after that, you're considered postmenopausal. So in that perimenopausal time, as well as moving into that postmenopausal time, what we often see is that someone's had a niggle. Every man for the last 20 years, every now and then I get a sneeze and I leak a little bit. Every now and then I, I struggle with a little bit of heaviness in my vagina, etc. And then oftentimes in this peri-postmenopausal transition, we get people that are, oh, now, oh, now it's a daily thing. Oh, okay, now it's happening all the time. And that can really be alarming and alerting to people. So this is where it's not too late. A lot of people feel like it's too late. It's not too late. 
But this is often what we are seeing. If something was a niggle, it's no longer a niggle. It's a daily occurrence and we need to manage that. So if that's you, it's not too late. There's a lot that can be done. So that's a lot of what we see. And then just relating to the pelvis in general, there's something called genitourinary syndrome of menopause. So someone might be experiencing itching, stinging, burning. It could be a thinning of the entrance of the vagina. So the tissue there feels thin, it feels fragile, and there might be a little bit of bleeding um, if in an attempt to achieve penetration, might be a sense of dryness. It might be a tension and a tightness of the labia minora and the clitoral hood. And these are all things that need to be assessed and addressed and then treated or referred out accordingly. So a lot of what I do, and this kind of comes a little bit into the postpartum breastfeeding phase when estrogen levels are lower. That's a little bit of a window into what perimenopausal and GSM symptoms can be like. And then in peri-postmenopause, we start to see these, these symptoms pop up a little bit more. So those are all things that I um, often see in clinic. And then I will say, okay, I really want you to go and talk to X, Y, and Z because there's a lot that can be done. Or let's try something conservative. What lube are you using? Is that working for you? No, it causes stinging and burning and dryness. No, that, that's not what we want. Let's get you a good quality lube. Let's potentially talk about using dilators, which are things that are going to help to, to stretch and tension out the tissue and maintain tissue elasticity. Once again, there's so much that can be done with regards to managing niggles that have now become daily occurrences or this onset of symptoms that are associated with the vulva and the vulva in general, which is the outside bits, anything that you can see between your legs with a mirror, that's your vulva, it's not your vagina. Your vagina is a tube on the inside. So it's like looking at someone's face and saying, oh, that's your throat, right? Your throat's on the inside. There's a great comedian that the that spoke about this and he's fantastic. I love analogies like that because it's like exactly it gets the point across. Yeah. yeah. (laughs) And then with regards to perimenopause and postmenopause, probably the only other thing that I need to discuss is conserving bone density. So making sure that the person is maintaining weight bearing exercise and not just doing low impact. Mm. We really need to be loading our bones. It's a kind of supply and demand type of thing. When we're talking about bone, we need to keep it nice and strong. So eating well, living well, Sleeping well, drinking well, and exercising appropriately is really important during this period of time. And then maintaining muscle bulk and quality, making sure that you're having enough protein, make sure that you, you're doing enough exercise to maintain the bulk of your tissues. Because what we, for example, experience is a decline in our sphincteric muscles. So little muscles that almost, if you think of a balloon upside down as your bladder, there's a little muscle at where you put the knot of the balloon and those muscles lose bulk and tone over time. So we need to make sure that you're strengthening in and around the pelvis in order to help maintain the bulk of that bottom of the balloon. Because if we're going to maintain that, it's going to keep whatever's in the balloon in there until you really wanted to let it go and allow passage of urine. I hope that kind of comes across. Yes, absolutely. Um, Yeah, good. Yes. So, so there's lots that can be done in around period postmenopause, either a lot of which is education and then encouragement to do appropriate forms of exercise and activity. You are just a wealth of knowledge. I'm like, I feel so good. I feel so empowered. Everything you've been saying, I think you've communicated to the audience that come in, have a conversation. There's always something that we can do. There's so many ways to go about it. The last question that I wanted to ask you, but you've touched a upon it throughout is if, is there one piece of advice you give to somebody who's listening right now that wants to reach out maybe feels a certain way they're a little bit shy 
but they've listened to this episode now and they really want to seek a pelvic health physiotherapist. Is there anything you would let them know in terms of what to expect when they come to meet you for the first time to start this process, to start this journey, to maybe feeling a little bit more relief, whatever stage that there are in their life? Is there anything you'd like that you'd be, you'd say to them? Yeah. Well, I usually say to patients to approach whatever it is they're experiencing with curiosity and not judgment. So without judging yourself and thinking like, oh, I shouldn't be experiencing sexual pain. It's something wrong that I've done. There's something wrong with me. My labia are different size on right and left, which is totally normal. There's something wrong with me. Oh, you know, it rather if we approach it with curiosity and you come in, there's no expectation in this room, nothing whatsoever. You come in curious about yourself, willing to just have a conversation, open the door, have a, just step into the space of where you're wanting to go. So just curiously taking that first step, knowing that there's no judgment where with the person that you are going to be speaking to and, and hopefully not holding too much judgment on yourself or whatever it is that you're concerned about or worried about. So curiosity would be the best thing that I can encourage people to really engage with so that they are just taking away the pressure just taking away the pressure and just like you're chatting to a friend here, just tell me what's going on. And then we can take it from there. Always have autonomy in this room, in this experience. There's absolutely nothing that you have to do that is going to give you discomfort or make you feel uncomfortable. You make it so easy, Candice. You're such an easy person to talk to. I could see like clients coming to you and just being feeling so much better immediately. I love that. I think curiosity is like a fantastic perspective to have when you're coming into any sort of experience around your health, especially when we're, we live in this world where it's so easy to compare ourselves to others and to the norm. But like you said, there is no normal. Every, like no two person would come in with the same experience, same. So I think that's such a beautiful thing to leave people with. I don't want to wrap this up, but Thank you so, so much for being here. Actually, before we go, I would love it if you could share where people can find you, maybe online, in person, if you'd like, wherever they can find you. Perfect. Yeah, no problem. So online, because it's probably the quickest way to see me, meet me, would be on Instagram, which is at Nurture Your Vagina. And then outside of that, I do in-person consultations here in Grand Cayman. And I'm at a practice called The Well, which is absolutely beautiful in Georgetown. So that would be how one could do in-person consultations with me online. And a telephonic consultations is something to discuss down the line. But for now, yeah, Instagram is probably the most frequently used online platform for people to just learn and then in person at the well in Cayman. Yeah. Wonderful. And I will be sure I'll put everything in the show notes. I'll put all your links so people can check the show notes and follow you because you will not regret it. I learned something new from you every single day. And I'm so grateful, honestly, to have met you and to have found you because I, I love use curiosity. Now that's stuck in my head. I think that's like such a beautiful word. And I think the more we can be curious about ourselves, our bodies, and come at it with a place of no judgment. There's truly so much we can learn and just, and then we just feel better. Like, I think it's a win-win here. Yeah. Yeah. Curiosity did not kill the cat. Yeah. No, not at all. That shames us away from being curious. That's stupid. (laughs) (laughs) We need to be curious. (laughs) Yes. 
Yeah. Well, thank you so much. Thank you. <laughs> Bye. Thank you so much for joining us today on the Dreamers Way podcast. If you found value in today's episode, please consider supporting the show by leaving a review on your favorite podcast platform. Your feedback truly means the world to us and it helps others discover the podcast too. Thanks again for tuning in. Your support keeps us going and we can't wait to have you back for more. Until next time, keep exploring, keep learning and keep on dreaming.